many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. of the box. Meet people through their music with Ash Bertabez on FBI. Now on Out of the Box. If you were at the Smack Awards, or the Smack Festival I should say, the other day, you might have seen that Shining Bird had a dancer for their set and she was just stoked. She was just she lit up the stage and on top of that her clothes were amazing. There were these loud patterns, happy coloured kind of mismatched wild prints and they just they totally worked and I asked what she was wearing and it turns out she was dressed head to toe in Yevu and now I've got the person behind Yevu in the studio with me Anna Robertson welcome and out of the box Anna hi thanks for having me so what does Yevu mean Yevu is a word that is pretty common in one of the regions in Ghana Yevu actually means sort of foreigner I think traditionally um, which translates into crafty dog Oh, um, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is kind of a, it's like quite a hard history to to sort of get a hold of. Like I I spent a bit of time trying to research it online because no one in Ghana could really tell me. So those the foreigners come in, they're crafty dogs. Yeah, they're kind of they will you know when the when the British sort of came and settled um, settled Ghana um, back in the day, they were sort of notorious for being aggressive like dogs, but quite crafty in terms of their business know how. Uh-huh. So that's that's a word that's been that's used. It's not in, not used in the region that I spend a lot of time in, but it is used in one of the regions in Ghana. Yeah. Speaking of your business know-how, let's talk business. So <laughs> what? To it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how does Yevu work from a business perspective? Because it's it's a it's a clothing brand and it's all made in Ghana. Yeah. Is it? Have you made a big factory called Yevu and that's how it works? <laughs> how does it work? Not quite. Well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe one day, but um, basically. Yevu is set up as a social enterprise, so we keep our sort of not-for-profit um, based in Ghana and then our for-profit um, based in Australia, mostly. Um, we work in Accra. We've got a workshop set up there and we work with um, micro-producers, micro-enterprise owners and artisanal manufacturers um, who live close to the poverty line. They're, they're economically quite vulnerable um, and they're, they're part of the informal sector in Ghana. So they're not really recognised by the government. There's no social security. Um, they live day to day. They don't have high income at all. But they've got the skills and they've got the desire to work. So, so we partner with them. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And how did things change for people like that when Yevu came along? Um, well, I mean, we try and we've been working with the same um, group of people for the last four ranges, so it's about three years now. Um, and we do try and um, monitor like the, the progress and the effect that sort of job creation and economic empowerment has on the people we're working with. Most of them are women, which is awesome because women are the best um, to work with as well. Um, you sort of see with women that they put a lot more of the income they make and the skills that they that they sort of acquire back into their families and communities. So um, you know, you see you see sort of quite tangible changes in their lives. So they set, they're able to send their kids to school. They're able to go and get further education elsewhere. They're able to buy their own machinery and set up their own businesses. Good point. And I also noticed one of the people who has been working for you for a while got to buy a computer. And so how does that change the game for them yeah, and Christine, their family? Um, that was quite cool to see because I didn't really realise that until I sort of got back, you know, three or four months um, later, but um, you know, she, I said to her, "Why? Well, okay. Well, first of all, she's one of our micro producers. She bought a computer and set it up in her tiny workshop in Accra. Set it up there in like the change room, and you walk in, and there's like just ten kids sitting at the computer, just using it all the time. And there's no internet. It's just there's just educational programs on the computer, so literacy skills, that sort of thing. Um, so she basically said, "I said to her, why did you buy the computer with with the money that you made from the from the or well, some of the money you made from the last range?" And she said, "Because I just I didn't." I didn't know what else to do with it. Like, it just makes sense for me to give it back to my community. This is a way I can I can show my sort of appreciation and, and give back. And a lot of the kids that were in there were from the local community, so her own kids and then children from local schools and that. So that's that was quite cool to, to see the beginning of. Nice. Yeah. And let's take our first track of the hour. So there's someone called Ebo Taylor you've brought in. Ebo Taylor? Ebo Taylor, I think, And yeah. what song have we got? Um, we've got Etwe Ababwe. I just, just showing how bad my tree is right there. Good, good enough for me because I have no <laughs> idea. All right, so, so who's this guy? Why is he important? So, Ebo Taylor is like kind of the, the king of high life. Um, he was really big and prolific in Ghana in the post-colonial era. There was like a, big, you know, Ghana was the first country to gain independence in 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 Africa, like apart from Egypt. I think Egypt was the first. Um, 
And so there was a sort of a really big sort of movement like to look back inside the country for like art, music, culture, um, and stop looking not not to look outside so much. So he really he really cultivated this like big band high life sound um, back in the sort of sixties. And so, what do you mean by high life? High life is like the happiest music you're ever gonna hear. <laughs> so high life is music that's unique to to Ghana, and it sort of it developed from sort of palm wine music, which was like back in the turn of the century, where guys were sort of playing guitars and stuff underneath trees and singing about the day, like day to day activities, and it sort of then moved into the big band sound. Um, that was like common all over West Africa. That we sort of, I sort of still hear it now when I'm in, in the country, like a lot on the radio all the time. So it's just, it's unique to Ghana. Awesome. Nielsen out of the box on FBI 94.5. Anna Robertson is my guest today and she is the creator of Yevu, a socially responsible clothing brand made in Ghana. This guy's out of Ghana, Ebo Teller.
Tune in to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. Bit of a groove going on there from Ebo Taylor. Atwa Roba was the, one of the name of that track. And it was brought on the show today by someone called Anna Robertson, who is the creator of Yevu. And we just got a text from the text line, Capitals, saying, Can, where can I get it? So you can get Yevu at a pop-up shop in Sydney right now. Where do, you, where do people find it? We're in Surrey Hills, 636 Crown Street. And we're... Popping down on Sunday. So we're only around... Popping down. Popping down, yes. <laughs> That's cute. Um, so you can only get it there for a few more days. Um, and is this a good opportunity to talk about... Oh, yeah, this is tonight? totally the perfect time right. to talk about... Do, do you like parties? <laughs> do you like parties and looking cool? Then come along to our popping down party tonight um, at 636 Crown Street, Surrey Hills, starting from 6. Um, yeah, we'll be there'll be beers, bubbles and... Uh, FBI's bubbles. own bubbles. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I went wild. Yeah, <laughs> it's a celebration. <laughs> Particularly Yevu thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, FBI's own uh, Marty Doll of Dusty Fingers will be um, spinning some tunes tonight. So that's from six till nine, and that's sort of marking the beginning of the sale that we're having in store. Like everything's going to be on sale, and that sale will end on Sunday. But it's like everything with Yevu. Everything's kind of a one-off. So it's good to get in early and pick your prints. Yeah, make the pilgrimage now before yeah. it's too late, Absolutely. before they pop down. But you pop up somewhere else again because that's kind of how you roll. Yeah. It's a nice way of doing it. Absolutely. All right. So where else have you popped up in the world? Um, we've also got a pop-up in Melbourne at the moment, so that's open for another couple of weeks. Um, Sydney, this is like our third time in Sydney, and then we also did a stint in London, East London, um, at the end of 2014. Actually, that's kind of interesting. I think maybe pop-ups, they create more excitement, so it's a better way of kind of finding out about the brand or the, yeah, the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that? Has it been has oh it worked? For yeah, you? yeah. I've met so many incredible people just in the store and wanting to know the story behind it. Um, you know, and if I'm there I can actually talk, you know, about the brand from beginning to end. And um yeah, it's just it just kind of keeps keeps like it keeps the brand true to Ghana as well a little bit, I think. We can create a little bit of West Africa in the pop up stores and with the parties and stuff that we throw. Nice. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the fabrics that you make at Yevu because they're quite loud. They're quite bright. They're quite fun. They're these kind of like wax print fabrics. And you know, if you if you want to visualize without using my words because I'm probably not doing it justice, you can check out Yevu online. Uh, Yevuclothing.com. That's it. Delightful. So how? Where, what's the history of these fabrics? Why are they so bright and beautiful? Well, they're actually brought to West Africa by the Dutch many a century ago. Um, and then the and then the West Africans sort of made them their own and um, sort of cult- cultivated this sort of um, wax printing technology and industry was set up there in the sort of 60s and 70s and 80s. And they were just like, you know, pumping out these incredible designs. Um, weird sort of stuff like, you know, USB plugs and sneakers and like everyday objects but like in print form and people wear this sort of stuff head to toe. Um, so, you know, people, yeah, people in Ghana are still wearing this stuff, although it's getting a little bit harder to source locally made prints. Why is that? Um, because the government's just really opened their doors to importation and uh-huh. there's been a very small support put into um, protecting their their sort of textile industry, which was really big in Ghana. It employed, you know, 30,000 people um, back in the day and now it's something like 10% of that are employed in the textile industry. So they just can't stay competitive with import to imported wax prints brought in from Asian countries. I get it. So is that kind of where Yevu steps in, where you're trying to actually make it so it's it's connecting that local you know, economy with overseas economies. So there's yeah. like enough of a demand for it. Yeah, absolutely. That they can continue. Like, I mean, I try and I, you know, I'm scouring the markets every single day. Like I'm, you know, very, it's so hands-on and I'm able to get a good feel for what um, fabrics are made in country and what are imported because it's actually getting harder and harder to tell. Ghanaian fabrics have started putting scratch codes on their, 
on the actual print. So there's a sticker on the print. They put a scratch code on there. You scratch it off. You text the number, and it will tell you whether it's a fake print or not. You're kidding. That no, is so cool. It's so technologically, that is so high tech. <laughs> I know. I was like, what is this? And you can win prizes as well. So if you text, if you yeah. if you text in the right number, you win a prize. That's funny because it doesn't really jive with my idea of of what Ghana, or particularly well, Accra, the capital, yeah. is like. I mean, that's the thing with. I guess. I guess I can only really speak of West Africa. Is like the capital cities are, are seriously developed in in so many ways. Um, you know, it's a, it's it's a thriving city with financial center and a, you know it's yeah it's it's not what you'd really expect. I don't think. Cool. Can you paint us a bit of a, a visual picture of what Accra is like? Um, chaos springs to mind. <laughs> Any of my friends who have been there would say the same thing. Um, you get kind of used to it, but it's just this sprawling urban mass like there hasn't really been a lot of urban planning being put into the city I don't think much but like Sydney much like Sydney <laughs> exactly um and you know across on the coastline so you get this incredible sort of tropical feel to the city actually interestingly enough Ghana used to be or well, Ghana used to be called the uh gold coast yes yeah yeah very Mostly much because like of the actual gold, not because <laughs> yeah. of the sand. Yeah, no, different meaning there. Um, yeah, they changed the name after independence in 57 awesome. um, to Ghana. But, yeah, there's still a lot of gold there, a lot of gold mining going on, um, lots of different companies operating in the area. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just the city's just thriving. There's a real – there's an incredible pulse in the city. Like, there's there's a bustling nightlife. Um, in, you know, you can get anything – you can kind of get anything you want there. Um and it's just very social. You know, I can go out by myself at night and meet a million people all working in really interesting different areas. And it's just a really free sort of feeling country. I love it. Nice. And I think we should take a track so we can just visualise Ghana a bit to the sounds of Lete Mabulu. So what song do we have here? Uh, well, Lete Mabulu is actually a South African oh. soul singer. She's not Ghanaian, but, um, you know, it's nice to get a flavour of the continent, I think. <laughs> Continental and flavor. And this, this is just a really feel-good song and it has the same sort of vibe as the Ghanaian sort of tracks. Awesome. Eels now out of the box in FBI 94.5. I've got Anna Robertson in the studio with me.
You're tuned into FBI 94.5. In the background there, you can hear Lete Mabulu. And that was Noma Lizo from her. And my guest on Out of the Box today is Anna Robertson, who is the head honcho of Yevu. And uh, you didn't end up in Ghana just to make Yevu, did you? No, far from that, actually. Um, Why were you there in the first place? I Well, I got a job there through an AusAid program. So... Um, it, I don't think I don't know if it's around anymore. The Australian Volunteers International Development. Um, you apply for jobs in country, like based on your experience in development, <clears throat> and um, you're just thrown into the deep end, basically. Uh. So I was there for a year working on the election um, in 2012. Um, so I was based at like a, a big sort of civil civil society group, whose job was to basically say whether or not the presidential election was free, fair, and transparent and credible. And my job was to basically be able to. Qu- qualify and quantify that which was quite a big job yeah no that sounds like something that could be like a little bit intangible yeah you know and how did you how did you go about trying to say whether or not there was a fair election um a lot of interviews and with politicians and electoral commission members and civil society groups um yeah it, it's not an easy thing to do um, was it satisfying work though yeah i mean look I, it was i think that on some level it was and i i think that that work is is kind of necessary especially in, in parts of Africa where elections can really spark massive mm. violence and civil wars in some parts. So I think that it's important to have civil society just being aware and engaged with what's actually going on and what, what could happen if they don't kind of accept the results and the government who, you know, the government that loses doesn't step down and I all see. those sorts of things. So it's pretty like, it's it's pretty, vul- it's a vulnerable situation. So what has happened in the past in Ghana in particular with well, elections? Like why would this have to be something that is kind of outsourced that people need to keep them, you know... Yeah, I mean, Ghana's actually never seen civil war. Ghana's one of the most peaceful countries in the region. So um, there's been violence and stuff around elections in in the 08 election. There's been coups, a series of coups um, in the sort of 80s and 90s. But it was it's more just looking at the on a regional level. I mean, Cote d'Ivoire, um, they had a bad election in, I think, 2011. And um, that cost a lot of lives. And, um, you know, the country's still reeling from that in many ways. So, and that's just, that's the Ghana's neighbour. Sorry, that's like the country next door. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just more about creating awareness. So how did you start doing that kind of work? Um, well, I I did sort of p- political economy at uni and then I was really engaged in sort of the development um, sort of development world and what was going on in aid and development and looking at all the sort of problems and um, changes that were going on in, in sort of how things are funded and how you know, big global groups um, sort of work in places like Africa. And what was your thesis on, actually? <laughs> the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah. yeah. And, and were you being critical of it or um, for it? or? Yeah, look, a little bit. And actually, interestingly enough, there was an article um, today that I read somewhere about how there's a report's been released on the Gates Foundation and um, sort of criticising them for, have, for partnering with big business and really changing the way aid is funded. Um, you know, I definitely touched on that a little bit in my thesis, but um, it was a it was a mixed review. Um, yeah. You know, these big philanthropic groups have a lot of money, and they're doing a lot of work that governments can't and won't do. They're more efficient in many ways, but they can also really skew the the, the way aid's delivered and where the aid goes to, like True. what what issues they decide to fund. And so, with your you worked later with the Bill, something that was funded by the Bill Gates yeah. Foundation, yeah. But it actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I actually ended up in one project. One of the projects yeah. I was working on in Ghana was called Farm Radio, and it was. Um, we we recorded all these radio like one hour long sort of podcasts effectively that went out to rural um, communities where they didn't have access to like the newspaper. Many people aren't literate, um, so their main source of information is through the wireless, like through radio. So they'd ring and and everyone's got phones in Ghana, so they'd ring this hotline and they'd listen to us basically. Well, not me, but you know, Ghanaians talk about how to keep peace during the election and stuff. And I thought that was a really that was a really effective um, sort of uh, project they were working on, and that was funded by the Gates Foundation. So I was a bit like, oh. I know, yeah, they're doing good work too, you know. Like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah they're using infrastructure that they already have Absolutely. as well. People already have phones, so. Yeah, they're that. utilising technology, which is the way forward, I think. Awesome. Yeah. And actually, could I ask you, you said it was kind of a election time's a bit of a weird time in Ghana. And mm. were you there during election time? Oh, yeah. Oh, what's it like? Um, pretty incredible, crazy, wild. Like, I actually went out. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to do this. Um, all, everyone <laughs> who was working for AusAid was told that they had to stay indoors um, for like a certain amount of time during the actual when the election results were released. Why, why are there stunts or something? Because um, it can be potentially dangerous. Like mm-hmm. it can be dangerous in the streets because um, there has been violence in the past. 
And I was like, feel good. And I just kind of left. <laughs> I left. I, I was doing. I was working on the election until maybe midnight that night, and the, rele- the results got released. And I just went out with a camera into the streets, into one of the. There's like two political strongholds in the city, so I went kind of to both those areas, and I just was like immersed in it. There were people in the streets, people in hanging off trucks, like yelling. Everyone's politically engaged there. You know, they don't take voting for granted, like you know we do in Australia a little bit. Is it something? Um, is it something to do with the fact that it's kind of also quite a religious country? Is it kind of like? Is um, it like other countries where the political and religious kind of yeah. intertwine. That's oh, why yeah. people care so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, religion, Christianity in Ghana, well, especially in the southern parts of Ghana, really underlies absolutely everything. So you've got politicians who who really, like, talk religiously about things, and I guess that appeals to certain groups of people. I mean, it is quite ethnically divided the way people vote, so it's actually not necessarily about Christianity but about sort of traditional religion as well mm-hmm. um, and, like, ethnic ties. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's just, I think it's also just that it's in, it's, you know, voting's kind of new. So everyone just wants to get out there and get involved. Cool. And so why, why would you go into doing stuff as, as Yevu and making a socially responsible clothing brand after you've done all this other kind of work that was a bit more political? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird change. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a snowball. I was just like, rolling down yeah. a hill and I was just kind of like, like running after it. But You're like, um, bye everyone. Yeah. I'm going to go make some nice clothes <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the locals. I go back and see my old colleagues and they're like, so what do you? what are you doing with clothes? And I'm like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a good idea behind it. Um, but I kind of, well, first of all, the textile industry in Ghana I just absolutely fell in love with. And if you've seen anything of Yebu or any, any West African prints, um, you can sort of see why. They're so contemporary and incredible. And I really just, from a business perspective, I saw that working really well in like Australia in the summertime. Um, and then I also was, I guess, a little bit disenchanted by some of the aid sort of stuff that was going on at the time and government funded aid. And I just, I saw that there was a huge potential to partner with social uh, micro enterprises in, in, in Ghana who were receiving so little support and had the desire to work, um, but, you know, lack of access to resources. You know, even powering a shop, you know, with electricity is becoming harder and harder. There's, like, huge energy crisis in West Africa. So but most of the stuff that we produce is produced is made using generators um, at the moment. So, you know, people can't really, you know, small businesses were failing. They couldn't really survive. So I just saw that there was a bit of a social enterprise sort of potential there. And also I saw that the product, like a product made out of West African clothing yeah. um, would work in Australia. And actually for for the individual who is working for Yevu, how would their um, income have changed? Um, well, the, because it depends person to person. It does depend on, yeah, it totally does. Um, but different people work different amounts, I suppose. But, um, you know, we pay above the living wage of Ghana. So... They paid per piece and they have ownership over. So, like, one person will produce, like, all the men's shirts, you know, um, over a certain amount of time. So they have kind of responsibility and ownership over that. And they set their own wage. Okay, so it's um, not like, you know, everyone gets given this same print in this shop and everyone's working kind of no. like a sweatshop style. It's like they yeah. actually, that's that's their line that's of shirts. Their, that's, they're responsible for that. That's so, awesome. Yeah, which creates, you know, there's a sense of pride that comes with the work. Um, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's just easier to sort of gauge how much people are earning that way. So... They they earn um, well above the living wage and substantially above the minimum statutory wage that's that's um, like legislated in Ghana at the moment, which is something like two dollars a day. Oh yeah, no one yeah. can live off that. So if you like the sound of uh, Yevu's clothing and Yevu's reason for being, then you can visit the pop up shop on Crown Street. Which number was it again? Six three six. So yeah. it's right up near the Cleveland intersection. Okay, cool. Yeah. So near the corner of uh, Cleveland, Cleveland and, and Crown. Crown Street. That's it. All right, now let's whack on a track. Now I'm not even going to bother with trying to say this name. Okay, I will. <laughs> Who's new? Oscar Tell Orchestrati. So, uh, That's pretty good. <laughs> Look, okay, why do you want to bring on this track? To embarrass me? <laughs> Basically. Well, this is actually, this is not a West African song. This is like a Turkish psych song. But Oh, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> but this song was, weirdly enough, I was listening to this track a lot and this album, which I picked up when I was in New York, sort of on a break in between my first year in Ghana. And I was listening to this, I was listening to this track a lot when I was, in the western region, we're travelling into the Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, through um, overland through the western region of Ghana, and I was sitting atop this incredible German-built castle um, in this little village called Princess Town. Princess Town sounds yeah, so it's, cute. Oh my god, it's like my favourite place <laughs> in Ghana. It's so hard to get to though. It's kind of like you know you've really got to put the effort in. But um, you know you're out on the coastline, surrounded by banana trees. We eat lobster at night there, and you know you're, you're staying under the stars on top of this castle, and it costs like a couple dollars a day. It's absolutely incredible. So I remember just playing this track over and over again, just sort of sitting on top of this castle, I guess reflecting on the year that had just gone, which is my first year in Ghana. Um, anyway, so yeah. That's it. <laughs> 
You're tuned in to FBI 94.5 on the FM band. My guest on Out of the Box today is Anna Robertson. She's a creator of Yevu. And that right there was something called Husnu Oscartel Orchestrasdi. Yeah, no, I shouldn't have tried it again. <laughs> no, I just, no, that was really I just have a, ha- a habit of going to say the name. <laughs> You like a challenge, obviously. Yeah, exactly. I do like a challenge. (laughs) All right, something much less challenging. How soon is now? I mean, it's a hard question, but the song is a very good song. So we're going to play The Smiths next, and I want to talk about this time in your life because I think everyone gets into The Smiths when they're kind of like, you know, teens and early, maybe early 20s at a stretch. Yeah, at a stretch, hopefully. (laughs) Happened for me a little bit before that, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, it's kind of cliche, but I I couldn't walk past The Smiths and not include them today. I really I cut my musical teeth to the Smiths. Like I was, I remember being in New York with my with my parents when I was like fifteen, and just sort of hating every second of it. You know, just like, what? Well, you know, you have parents and you have fifteen. True, and you're true. just kind of like. Oh, I mean, I loved New York. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I just wanted I wanted freedom. You know, like yeah. Um, so I, you know, I was religiously reading the Face magazine at the time, and I I remember like seeing in there that they suggested that I that you read this book. Or, What's the Face? Um, the Face is like this old British magazine that was really sort of big in the nineties and early thousands, and um, they went out of um, they stopped printing a while ago. But they were really they kind of for me it was like the first time I really sort of had access to you know it was pre internet basically. Oh yeah. So you know I had access to this is like I'm a bit older probably. Than I didn't I didn't realize this. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. all this is pre dawning on this me. This is kind of pre internet pre like you know there was no smartphones back then so you just read you know you're reading magazines and yeah. Um, Anyway, I remember reading about this book and it was called How Soon Is Never by Mark Spitz. And I was like, that sounds really cool. I'm going to go buy it. So I went and bought it, read the whole entire thing, which was about the Smiths, without ever having heard a song by the Smiths. So I had this sort of, you know. It's like reading the lyrics on the way home with a CD yeah. and then putting the <laughs> CD on and being like, oh, my God. But imagine how much it blows your mind <laughs> yeah, when you actually hear totally. the Smiths for the first time and it's like everything plus more that you ever thought it would be. So I had mm. this kind of sort of real, I was daydreaming and romanticising about sort of working class Britain, like, you know, after reading that book. <laughs> doing it tough. Doing it tough. Where you, would you grow up? Uh, well, I'm Mossman, so <laughs> I guess I was trying to um, experience something the polar opposite. Imagining of my hardship. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine you it. Just stretch your mind for a second and imagine having it tough in working class Britain. Uh, I know, honestly. Yeah, but so I mean, cliche. still, it's, it seems like it's, it's a new world. Yeah, it's a new world. It was a new frontier. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this song was just, yeah, I loved it. I love it. I still do.
Yes, you're tuned into Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. We just got a text through on the text line from Bo, who's been frothing on the tunes, quite frankly, and uh, he'd like to know the name of a couple of songs that we he missed that were amazing. And you probably missed the name of the songs because I'm terrible at pronouncing them. A lot of them today have been from places in Africa, so Ghana and South Africa, and they're all going to go up on the FBI radio website. So if you go to Out of the Box's uh, show page, those will all be up. Definitely they're going up as we speak, but at the end of the show, all of them will be sitting there for you. And if you do like the show and you'd like to share it or you'd like to listen again or you miss bits, uh, we do podcast the show. Sometimes it takes me a while to get around to it, uh, but it, it ends up there eventually. So I would like to uh, bring bring you back into it, Anna, because we've, we've just found out about a sweet sample this morning and um, we're going to give you a bit of a hint about where what the next song is going to be. And so, can you tell us a little bit about um, your time in Barcelona and why you wanted to pick the next song? Absolutely, yeah. So the year was 2005. We'd just been on our year sabbatical around the world with my best friend Ro, and we were lugging water up to 13, the 13th foot apartment, I think the 13th floor apartment, because we'd run out of water in the apartment. It was like a hot summer's day, and this song was just like resonating in our neighbourhood. It was just like. All I can remember is just being so hot and sweaty and agitated, and this song. <laughs> All right, you're going to hear the, the sample that holds this whole song together in a second. It's a Moroccan track, but then the Chemical Brothers went and did something with and this. And Q-Tip. <laughs> Amazing. So that is the original... Sample so from incredible. Galvanized by the Chemical Brothers. You're no going to hear right now and out of the box. You're listening to an episode of, um, with Anna Robertson, who is a creative Yebu. Push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to push the button. World, the time has come to
time has come to push the button. Whirl, my finger is on the button. My finger is on the button. My finger is on the button. Push the button. That was Chemical Brothers with Galvanize on Out of the Box. FBI 94.5 is the station you're tuned into. And Anna Robertson, a.k.a. the uh, head honcho of Yevu, has been my guest for the past hour, bringing on all the tracks. And we've got one more song left for you today. And uh, before we go, we definitely should probably mention again that there is a, a party tonight for Yevu. Yes, there Give is. Give us the deets. Um, it's our closing of pop-up party. Pop down. Uh, pop down. Um, we're at 636, 636 Crown Street, Surrey Hills, starting at 6. Um, it, Marty Doyle will be playing some tunes and there'll be some drinks on ice. And <gasps> more importantly, um, our latest range will be entirely on sale. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming. Yeah. Get down there. <laughs> it just it just occurred to me that not only can I tell people about this thing, I can also go. Yes. <laughs> You're invited. All right. So uh, now to see us out of the hour, it's uh, a song by Simi Rap. Well, no. Sorry, or by Gedu. By Gedu Blay Ambele. That's, okay, that's there his name. And, and, and I, who's this guy? He is the biggest chiller in Ghana. Like, honestly, I love this guy. Um, I've had the like pleasure of seeing him play, perform a few times. And he's, I just, I've hung out with him in Accra. He's kind of like the father of rap. He calls himself that. He he basically has come out and said that Sugar Hill Gang did not invent rap, that he did. 
So he was <laughs> wow. one of the yeah he was one of the first sort of musicians at least in Africa to to like rap in Chui over the local language to rap over like sort of high life sounds. So it's really like he's kind of a pioneer in the music front and he's he just like wears sort of track pants and like leather loafers and just chills around, just drinks beer and I go and have a chat to him whenever I see him in town. He's a really cool guy. Oh, I've got the greatest image of this guy right now. So let's <laughs> let's just hear it from him. It's Ghetto Blay Ambele with Simi Rap. Thank you so much for coming on out of the Thanks box so today. Thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Me too. <laughs> Be 
say yellow, yellow. Walk for ya, sing a Hey! 